0: The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. The TSO certified Bose Proflight Series 2 aviation headset pairs Bose noise cancellation with optimum comfort. It's engineered to be the lightest, most compact aviation headset for an uncompromised flying experience. Start your 60-day test flight and finance with Bose Pay at bose.com/proflight. As pilots, we know that flying is among life's greatest experiences. Learning to fly can be a challenge, but now there's an innovation in pilot training that increases efficiency, streamlines the training process, and improves student retention. The AOPA Flight Training Advantage uses an iPad app and web portals to create an adaptive, dynamic training experience that's unique to each student. Designed to address the most common reasons students drop out of flight training, the AOPA Flight Training Advantage system is used by flight schools, CFIs, and students to make training more effective, efficient, and fun. Learn how you can get the AOPA Flight Training Advantage at AOPA.com slash That's AFTA. Aviation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is a re air with my dad. It was episode 100. It was an awesome episode, but boy, has a lot changed. Since this episode was released For one, um, we recorded this right before COVID And we were talking about how there's never going to be a slowdown Ever, ever again Uh, What do you know? There was a huge slowdown (laughs) Uh, So it's really funny uh, Kind of comparing those two and what we're saying And what actually happened just a few weeks after that Like honestly, like a couple weeks after It was absolute madness uh, and number two, my dad has retired from flying for American Airlines, so a lot has changed in his life. Uh, there probably needs to be an update episode to this, which we'll probably do, but he's currently looking for a job, so if you're in the Charlotte area, you want to hire a pilot over 65 with a ton of opportunity, a ton of knowledge, hit him up. Send me an email, so I'll forward you his resume. But Aviation, I hope you enjoy this episode, it's always fun sharing this one. Uh, I had a lot of fun with this, and like I said, we need to get a new one uh, recorded. But Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, so without any further ado, here's my dad, Jeff Seams pops what's going on welcome to the pilot the pilot podcast
1: how's it going how's life
0: good how are you good living the dream it's weird having you on the podcast since we just talk normally and it's like a formal setting but we'll make it happen you got it i'm here for you this has been a pretty requested episode i've had a lot of people say that i need to interview you and we've been trying to do it and uh, we're finally getting it done
1: all right. Well, they're going to be severely disappointed,
0: but yeah. I apologize ahead of time. <laughs> I already warned them that they'd be disappointed. Exactly. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so you have uh, quite the career. Like you said, you've been with four airlines and all been through mergers. You've never been furloughed. You just have kind of gone through that whole thing. So I'm really interested to talk about it because where we are now is just so different than kind of the, the industry that you went through and how you climbed the ladder to get to where you are today. So it's going to be really interesting.
1: No, it definitely is a different industry for the better, yeah. I think,
0: in the long run.
1: But for sure. There's definitely been growth pains.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've seen it firsthand, too. You <laughs> have, you have. <laughs> but um, let's go ahead and uh, kind of focus on you, though. I want to get back to okay. the beginning of why you wanted to become a pilot in the first place.
1: Okay. Um, it's kind of funny. As you know, my dad, your grandfather was an airline pilot, flew for Capital United, And uh, just as a little kid, I just always had a love of aviation. I don't can't explain it. I remember being two years old, running around the house with a little metal airplane tripping and falling and sticking (laughs) it in my head. And I guess it just kind of stuck in my head.
0: You you literally got an an airplane stuck in your head. I did. Had to go to the hospital and get stitches. (laughs) How was it like sticking out of your head? It
1: was in my forehead. Oh, my
0: God. (laughs) And ever since then, aviation's been stuck you with you, for literally. You the truth, you're getting it, buddy. Yeah, I like it. That's funny. What did grandpa think when you had an airplane stuck in your head? I'm sure he had some a few choice words.
1: He was. He uh, He def. He didn't like uh, bad stuff, so he was in denial. He's like, we don't have to take him to the hospital. He'll be fine. <laughs> he will. Yeah, he, could,
0: he could grow a face around that airplane. <laughs> What did uh, what did Grandpa think about you wanting to be a pilot? Was he all for it, or was he kind of hesitant about you? He
1: was hesitant. He basically always told me to be a doctor or be a lawyer. But I think uh, secretly, I think he was pretty pleased that I chose that
0: path, just because he loved he did love flying. Why do you think he was hesitant? Because I feel like when he was coming up, like it was kind of the glory age of aviation. So why would he be hesitant, do you think?
1: He He was a funny person. He was um, a lot deeper than people thought, and he had some pretty good vision. And he basically said that what I see him going through will be totally different in my experience. And it, and it was. I mean, you know, he literally came in flying open cockpit biplanes and finished up in a DC-10.
0: And then what, did he ever tell you what he thought it was going to be like? Did he say like a bunch of mergers, a bunch of oh, furloughs? He didn't. Well,
1: I, it was kind of funny. Cause I don't know if any, many people really, I mean, there were mergers in his career. He flew for capital, which got bought by United. But um, I think people thought, you know, seven, 10, 12 airlines was going to be the norm because of deregulation and that's how it stacked out. But then as things progressed, you know, the a lot of the advantages of deregulation didn't really come to fruition. So airlines started kind of going after each other's markets.
0: <laughs> yes, they did. And now we're down little to bit, what, little like little three bit. of the legacies? <laughs> like a bunch of tribes, you know? Yeah. Didn't he, I remember you telling me a story. Didn't you say that you were at a bar and you ran into one of the guys that was pushing deregulation?
1: Actually, I was on an airplane, believe it or not. I was a guy named Alfred Kahn, who was the father of deregulation.
0: Oh my gosh. What'd and you say I, to him?
1: <laughs> I was non riving home and I generally tried to never converse about the airlines, but that he was so intelligent that he basically guided the conversation and got me on my soapbox. And I basically told him that deregulation was a horrible failure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did he take uh, any offense to that? Or he's like, I respect your uh, opinion. He
1: looked like I was pouring acid on
0: his face, yeah. <laughs> you might've <have> been.
1: <laughs> he was not happy. It was funny though, because I think it was very genuine and I don't think he expected my response at all.
0: Wow, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. I'm sure he's heard it, heard it a lot cause I'm sure you're not the only one that's had that opinion too. <laughs>
1: I, I don't know if any. I mean, I can't say I'm the first person that told him it, but he definitely was in distress when I was talking to him. And the funny thing is, when we landed, he gave me his card because at that point I still didn't know who he was. And he said, you know, shook my hand and told me who it was. And I said, well, it doesn't change anything I said.
0: <laughs> I still don't like it. Exactly. Yeah. Where do you think aviation would be without deregula- deregulation right now?
1: I mean, I think it's a better, stronger industry because there was so many airlines that didn't really have a business plan. They just kind of had territory. So I think it's a better industry. I think it just was a very painful journey to get to it.
0: So you think it was like
1: a necessary evil? I kind of do. Yeah, I think, you know, back then it's kind of like the auto companies, you know, Ford had their territory. General Motors had theirs and they just kind of let them each other coexist. Where deregulation kind of forced them out of that. And fortunately, you know, when I went to work for Piedmont, they were kind of one of the airlines that really seized deregulation and kind of ran with it.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll talk more about Piedmont later and yeah, yeah. all, all yeah, your journey. Yeah, a plug there. No, yeah. Piedmont Airlines, best airline like ever. the real Piedmont, that's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they the oh, the real Piedmont. All the regional pilots aren't going to like you for saying that. <laughs>
1: hey, I, I love them just as much. It's just yeah. a different company, that's yeah. all.
0: Oh, absolutely. Definitely is. Actually,
1: I, I fly with someone,
0: they're awesome. Yeah, I know they're good pilots there. I've interviewed a couple of them too. Yep. But uh, so two years old, plane sticking out of your head, your dad doesn't want to make you go to the hospital and get stitches. What was the next process of you um, becoming a pilot? Like, when did you take your first flight lesson? How did you foster that love of aviation as you're growing up?
1: Actually, I always had it. I I bought model airplanes and model cars and I had literally every airplane kit they ever offered hanging from my bedroom ceiling. It looked like an TC nightmare. Um, so I always had it. And once in a while he would help me with some of the models and kind of, you know, share that experience with me. And then as I became a teenager, he, there was a camp in Maine called Camp Solo. And he offered that to me a couple of times, but you know, as a kid, I didn't want to leave home I was playing with my friends, but, um, I just always had it kind of in the back of my mind and all my elementary school teachers, I guess I talked to them because they always put in my book, you know, autograph books we had that I'd look forward to be on your flight someday. So I had to have chatted it up somehow. Yeah, I'm going to be a pilot. I'm going to be a pilot. <laughs> I, I'm sure Seekler are like, oh my God, but yeah. they never said that to me.
0: And if anyone knows you, you're definitely not afraid to talk to people. That's for sure. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> um, yeah. So what was Camp Solo? Was it uh, an aviation camp?
1: You could actually solo and get everything up to your check ride you know, before you returned 16. Because back then the minimum age was 16. But, um, it was, you know, it would have been cool, but I'm, I'm kind of glad I didn't. Cause I was, I think, um, a little more focused as I got closer to where I really started.
0: What, um, so what did you, so you didn't end up going to camp solo at all, right? No. Okay. I did so not. when did you take your first flight and what airport? I did? took
1: My first flight when I was 16 at a place called Ramapo Valley airport, which is probably 12 miles due west of Westchester and not there anymore. Right. No, it's now a Costco, which is kind of appropriate if anybody knows me.
0: <laughs> My dad loves Costco more than anyone.
1: <laughs> it's kind of sad.
0: He has his routine where when he lands, he has to go to Sam's, BJ's Warehouse, and Costco because they all have different stuff. <laughs> it's an addiction.
1: But I it was, you know, it was, it was a good place to learn to fly. It was a, they
0: advertised as a two thousand foot runway, but I don't think it was two thousand foot runway thing. Yep, was it skinny? But, Oh yeah. It looked like somebody's driveway. Oh wow. Was it a public airport or a private airport? It was public. Okay. Actually
1: they had a pretty thriving helicopter business on the south side of it. And then there's, you know, a flight school and I mean a lot of airplanes really, because the county was, you know, fairly I shouldn't say affluent, but there's a lot of people that were into aviation there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what uh so you said no to Camp Solo to grandpa. Was grandpa kind of thinking maybe it was coming you're getting out of the, the aviation stage and moving on to other things, or do you always know that you still wanted to do this?
1: I think he, in the back of his mind, hoped I would choose another path only because of his vision that he shared with me a few times. Um, I think when I really started to pursue it, he never, you know, he wasn't one of those people that, you know, I'm just, fortunately, as you know with me, I tend to be a little overly positive. He was not. So he didn't really sit me down and tell me how proud he was or anything, but I think he was. I think he enjoyed following me. I took him up right after I got my license, and, I mean, he, you know, he definitely – had the same look that I had when I went up
0: with you. Yeah, that was that's really cool. I, I yeah, that was a fun time. What um, so you're 16. You are going to this really tiny airport with a strong aviation community and flying. What was what was that like? Was it um, was it like what was it like actually flying for the first time?
1: It was so cool. It's you know, it's funny. You can't really. I mean, he had a friend that had a bonanza. He picked us up one time and took us to a basically a hotel he owned in Pennsylvania. And I thought he was Sky King. Sky King in my day was this legendary aviator on TV that had a show. It was a Cessna three hundred and ten, but at that point I, I wasn't that cognizant of airplane types. But um, I just it was the coolest thing. I still can't describe it to this day. And it's. Kind of funny. It's created a love of aviation. That even today, when I get in the car and go to the airport, I'm pretty excited about it.
0: Yeah. I mean, of all the people I've ever met or talked to, I would say no one can rival how much you love aviation, how much you love to fly. It's pretty. It's, it's, it's kind of sad. You'd
1: think I'd figure out that it's work, <laughs> but I haven't
0: yet. <laughs> you definitely have not. It's a sickness, right?
1: It, it was I, I kind of like Forrest Gump, you know, except instead of a garden tractor, it's an airplane.
0: That's funny. Did you have any struggles when you were uh, in your aviation training? Did you have anything that kind of like really you couldn't like grasp or you had to take Uh, a couple lessons? Not
1: really. Uh, You know, they had some ground schools there and it literally was like a class of night in an airport restaurant. So it wasn't I mean, you had to kind of put a lot of effort into it on your own. So I I enjoyed it enough that I just kind of, you know, stuck with it, persevered and got
0: it all done. Yeah. What kind of planes were you flying?
1: Um, all Cessna 172, I flew a Cessna 210 for my advanced time for my uh, commercial, which was one of the coolest days of my life, but be 16 years old or 17 years old and a Cessna 210
0: was pretty, pretty wild. Yeah. What's the like worst that could happened, right?
1: Yeah, what's yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you, you did some fun stuff. I got stuff it back it. somehow, so it was all yeah. good. Do you have any fun stories from flying the 210 or was it just, were you just kind of dumbfounded uh, by how powerful it was?
1: It was pretty cool. I remember I didn't buzz anybody's houses, but I did have to fly over my friends' houses to, you know, reassert
0: <laughs> myself. <laughs> All legal under that FA regulations. <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: What would, um so you're building up your ratings, did you um what were your check rides like? What were um did your dad offer you any or did grandpa offer you any tips or was he kind of hands-off? Actually,
1: he did, and it was kind of funny. He just kind of stayed in the background, which I think was good cuz as you know with you I I wanted <laughs> You know, you to develop your own bad habits, not get mine. So, I mean, I'll give you one little story. I got my private pilot license the same day John Travolta did in Teterboro. We had the same check airman. And uh, he came to me. He flew with John Travolta first. And he was telling me he just flew with this kid that was on this show and we figured out who it was. And uh, it went downhill for me from there, but I was able to pull it out at the end.
0: That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Downhill right after that.
1: <laughs> I was pretty nervous. The airport that I flew at was this uncontrolled, you know, anytime you picked up the microphone, you you would tense up and going down to Teterboro, as you know, is kind of a mess.
0: Is that where you did your check right out of Teterboro? Yeah, it is. Was, it was Teterboro a different airport than it is now? Was it not as busy or was it just as busy? I think
1: it was crazier. The airplanes were a little smaller. It was it was a pretty crazy environment.
0: Yeah, Uncle Randy, he got his. Uh, he did some of his training at Teterboro, didn't he?
1: He did some flying down there. Yeah, I think Ramapo Valley. You know, anyone that you would advise to go in aviation, you would tell him not to go to Ramapo Valley. But I did. Ha- I did do a really good short field landing. I
0: could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> What was it like being a, a student pilot in New York and kind of training under under all the Bravo I don't even know if it was Bravo back then but
1: well it was different airspace but was, the hard part was the weather because back then I mean it was like um they they would burn open garbage at dumps and the visibility you were lucky to get 3 miles some days so it was very difficult to do like long cost countries you know typically if you planned it for Tuesday you'd do it like Friday the following week
0: just cuz of weather yeah like is that a, a? I can't see. Is that a runway? Is that a road? No, what's a board. <laughs> Go around. But it was you know it was it was good training because you
1: definitely learned how to rely on your your senses and your your you know, your instincts.
0: So you are uh, getting all your ratings. You're done with your ratings, and now you are kind of moving up and. In- I don't know if you necessarily, was it all hours based back then? Like, how did you go about getting a job? How did you, you start building time or getting yeah, all your well, right After
1: I um, got my private, I pretty much worked all the way up to my check ride and my uh, in- instrument written got lost with the FAA two times.
0: It got lost?
1: It did. They couldn't find it. They oh. at the end they figured that there's a seams aviator in Wisconsin, and I think it, it might have gone his way. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so, or some random guy in Wisconsin with our last exactly, name has exactly. his instrument re- written done. <laughs> but uh,
1: so I got married. I I found this woman. It was like I better marry her now. I'll never get another chance. So I did. And We went to Ohio State University. Go Bucks. Hey, go Bucks! Exactly, and uh, took up aviation out there and got my ratings finished up. Graduated. Um, about six months early, thinking I was going to be a hotshot airline pilot, and literally the day I graduated, United and American announced their furlough.
0: Nice, great timing. So
1: exactly, but I, it's, the funny thing is, I got the privilege to talk to this FBO that was starting up an airline. You know, with like they had a Merlin Metro liner sitting out in front of the hangar, which I should have known was a bad idea. <laughs> Run away, exactly. So they, I was going to be the like the third pilot they had on their seniority list, but it, it never came to fruition. It was like a. A three-week play that I
0: went to training and it just never worked. So you you did your training in a Metroliner then?
1: Well, no, we never did flight training. I think I don't think they could afford to put gas in it. <laughs> <laughs> but it did sit out there; it looked pretty cool.
0: It's like, hey, we got a new airline. We're gonna do. We can't afford to fly the plane yet, but exactly, one day yeah, we'll get I was this going. Be
1: like the third pilot, a director of marketing.
0: Gee, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was the name of the airline, or what was it supposed to be? Do you remember?
1: One of my ideas was safe here, but they didn't like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, After was that,
1: this- I was. Just you know, very lucky. I worked line service at a State Airport because it paid ten dollars an hour versus or get like a dollar seventy nine an hour for flight instructing with the university proper. And then I kind of instructed in there like it was. A, I think they called it a one forty one school after hours back then. So I did that while I was working line service.
0: So you did become an instructor and you did instruct some then.
1: Not a lot, but I did. Yeah, and it was mostly friends. That yeah, I had one friend in particular. Was just a world class guy as a mechanic for a, a company I flew for eventually, and he just couldn't get past the fact that when you do a dead stick landing, you're worried about the airplane condition. I was like, the airplane could be there in a crusted heap as long as you walk away.
0: <laughs> yeah, very definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, but
1: but anyway, so I you know I kind of got in that way and flew part time for a lot of different companies. And it was a lot of fun. I got to meet a lot of interesting individuals.
0: Was your goal when you're doing your training always to go to the airlines? Or did you think maybe you're just going to find a job that you like and have fun with and just stick with that?
1: I was pretty much focused on airlines just because my dad and his friends, you know, they, they, I mean, he, they would come over and it just, you could, it was kind of cool. You could just absorb their passion for it, even though they wouldn't really openly talk about it, but it was just very cool to be in a room with them. Cause they, they would tell stories, not knowing that you were listening, even though I was, and you know, they had a lot, they didn't really talk much about their experiences unless they were around another group of aviators.
0: When you were doing your, like coming up and doing your training, though, it was still pretty much the glory days. So pilots are kind of like celebrities, weren't they?
1: Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, captains were gods. It was kind of funny because I love my dad dearly. He was a captain on a DC 10, but if anybody knew him, like in the little community we lived in, they'd be like, are you
0: kidding me? (laughs) You'd let him fly an airplane?" (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, (laughs) that's really funny. Um, Yeah, it's crazy how how time has gone now where you just call yourself a bus driver, not necessarily like, I mean, you're still proud that you're a captain and you love that you fly, but just the perception of uh, a captain or a pilot has definitely changed in the public view a little bit.
1: It has. It has. I mean, it's, I think it's for the better for like crew coordination and crew in the cockpit, because back then you were more reluctant to challenge something that was going on that you weren't comfortable with.
0: Yeah. You're just like, uh, the captain's got this.
1: Well, even that, you just had to really pick your battles and make sure that it was something that like, you know, this is definitely bad and we definitely shouldn't be doing this.
0: <laughs> was that more in corporate or was that in the airline world? Do you think or both
1: uh, corporate was, it was a really good place to come from because, um, you were involved with the entire operation, but they were companies that had no crew coordination at all. You basically were like individuals
0: living in different halves of the cockpit. How many corporate jobs did you have before you made it to the airlines? Uh,
1: I flew for a bunch of people part-time and then I was lucky enough to get kind of hired by a company. I think it was called commercial air transport in Coshocton, Ohio. And they predominantly flew for General Electric. They, I flew, I crewed a King Air 100 and a Learjet that they had. So that was kind of my first steady gig. And then I was able to get hired by a shopping center developer named Don M. Cass Organization. It, they literally had an airplane for like 50 years when I got my job there, and the guy I replaced retired. So they were a pretty stable operation in that city.
0: And did you ever think about just being like, I got a sweet job, I'm going to stay, or was it still just airlines, airlines, airlines?
1: I was still focused on the airlines. Uh, it was a really good place. They treated us very well. But it was still, I was 25 years old, and I was kind of, you know, at that point in time, I was kind of at the top of my uh, game. And I i I'd still saw it to go a little higher. Not that aviation airline flying is higher.
0: No, I know what you mean, though. It's kind but of like the perception had, yeah. that airline is like what you want to strive for and what you want to exactly, be. To exactly. And I,
1: I had friends that were with the airlines and, yeah, you know, they, they they lived some pretty good lifestyles back then.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And they do now as well. What, um, I remember you telling me some funny stories about, or not necessarily funny, but some interesting stories about the King Air that you flew and how guys would just like to shut down engines for fun to, to do or like simulate engine shutdowns and stuff. It, it was
1: the, the individual that I flew with was a really nice guy, he was a good pilot. But he, um, when we did training, he insisted on shutting the engine down entirely instead of running it on zero thrust. Which was kind of unnerving the first time we did it. We went to a little field and they were ready ready to call out their one fire truck for us when we came in.
0: <laughs> their one but, fire truck that may or may not work. Who knows? Exactly. Right? It didn't because I worked there eventually too.
1: <laughs> but, um, so after that, I kind of convinced him and the management at the company to hire like a, a professional training company, and, and they they came in and. The first time we flew with them, I was flying and he said, let's do some single engine work. And I told him, well, we generally shut down the engines. And he looked at me and I was like, yeah, that's how we do it. And I kind of served up the guy I flew with and said, tell him about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, tell him what you do, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was good training, but it was probably not the best idea.
0: Yeah, if you don't get it started, yeah, that would suck. Pretty much. <laughs> was pretty that in much. the King Air or did you do it in the Learjet too? It was, yeah, too? King Air, yeah. All right, good. Yeah. Um, what was, uh, so... What did your dad think about, or what did grandpa, I keep calling your dad, grandpa, what, what did he think about you in the corporate world? Was he? did he know it was kind of, uh, was he just pushing you like airlines as soon as possible, airlines as soon as possible? He,
1: he was funny. He did. Cause he understood, see, cause until you get with an airline, you don't really grasp seniority and what it is. So he really would encourage me to, and I, at the time there was, you know, the AT, there was a lot of stuff going on that were affecting the industry negatively. There was some hiring that went on, I think in like probably 78 to 81 and then the controller strike happened and there was, you know, kind of another big slowdown. But um, by the time I was enabled to start interviewing stuff, uh, you know, the industry was kind of on a fast track again. But he definitely encouraged me to, you know, if I if that's what I want to do, to kind of get with it and get
0: it done because of seniority. What were airlines looking for when they're hiring you back then? Was it was it hours? Was it experience? Was it type of uh, airplanes flown?
1: Yeah, back then it was a combination thereof. I belonged to an organization called FAPA. Back then it was Future Aviation Professionals, but they—I was like one of their disciples. I pretty much got their newsletter and would go out and execute it to a T. But it was, uh, you know, turbine time was worth more than reset time. It's similar to what's going on today. Yeah, it
0: was multi time king too.
1: It was very important back then. There weren't. There were still some. We called them commuter airlines back then because the airplanes were different but there were jobs available in that, but it's not like it is today where it's, that's kind of one of the majority entry levels, you know, for commercial aviation airlines now.
0: Yeah. Was it uh, pretty much all military, would you say, or was it a little bit of street hiring it or was, was it mainly to street? It was hires? actually
1: a pretty good common street hiring was probably a little easier path back then because they didn't have the flow throughs that you guys have now. So, you know, as long as you could, um, not offended someone at in an interview and you had a resume that didn't have a bunch of violations on it, you probably could get interviewed at different places.
0: Who cool. also grandpa worked at Capital, and then United was United, the airline you always wanted to work at.
1: It was every, every airplane in my bedroom ceiling. At least I had every United airplane ever built on my bedroom ceiling,
0: <laughs> hanging from a nylon cord. <laughs> And obviously, you are. You started with Piedmont, US Air, US Airways. Now American. So United didn't work out. Did what happened with the United when you applied? Did you get the interview and just didn't work out?
1: It was funny. I did interview. I was I once again through FAPA. I was at, literally at the first day of interviewing, which I was really excited about in that particular cycle. And um, I, it was basically a three part process. I went through the first part. The second part got more specific. And the third part was like a simulator uh, flight and then um, some stuff that went after that if you did the simulator flight well. And in the process, which is kind of funny, I flew a DC-10 simulator, which is like the first time I ever even saw a simulator. And I think they thought I was like trained in the the jungle somewhere. (laughs) It's a little different than what I was used to, but I got through it somehow. (laughs) But um, then I went to this personnel interview and it was allegedly a captain's review board. And I walked in the room and there was three people from personnel. So pretty much right away, I knew that my goose was being cooked slowly. And in the course of my interview with them, it became pretty evident that they were looking for people who were willing to get involved in a labor dispute.
0: Oh, so they just wanted to hire people specifically for a labor dispute?
1: Yes, they had. United had a strike back just right after that. And they were looking for people that were more likely
0: to stay employed during the strike. Was that, so did they ask you that verbatim or what? They did.
1: They asked me if I would cross a picket line. What'd you in the say? And I pretty much, I told them the truth. I told them that my father flew for United for 37 years and I might as well go home and shoot him in the back.
0: Yeah. What'd they
1: say and to I that? Asked them, I asked if that would be affect my chances of getting hired. And of course they assured me no, but I pretty much knew that I was like a charred member. Was that
0: very disappointing for you? Or were you kind of like crushed?
1: It was. When I got the letter, I I knew it was coming. And, you know, I I pretty much knew right at that second that I was not going to be someone that they were looking to hire. But um, the good news is I was so upset that I called my dad and, you know, he still had a network there and he kind of did some checking and he basically told me, you know, hey, what you did was the right thing. But at the time, ALPA, the Airline Pilots Association, didn't realize United was even hiring because they were still bringing furloughed pilots back and they didn't have anybody involved. So they did get someone involved in hiring prices like that week.
0: Oh, wow. So, so you kind of helped help
1: out people down the road. Yeah.
0: You just even had to be the.
1: Of, yeah, I was a little <laughs> bit of a sacrificial lamb, but that sometimes. Sucks. <laughs> like, hey, it's all good. Well, one of my best friends got hired like a week later. And he's had a great career, but his first couple of years there were not very pleasant.
0: Oh, really? With the labor dispute?
1: Well, every communication he got from the company was indicated he had to be fired as soon as they got it all taken care of. Oh wow! Not him, just his whole group.
0: Yeah, jeez, that's crazy. I mean, it just goes to show the airlines can be kind of a tumultuous and very interesting and bipolar, a little, bit, a little bit bipolar industry. Because right now it's great. Tomorrow it could suck, and you know, yep, who knows? It's, but.
1: fortunately, it's a better industry now
0: than it was then. But it, there's definitely been a, a journey. So United says no. What was your next step? What was kind of like you're going back to square one, going to the drawing board, uh, well, evaluating other airlines?
1: I had an interview with CWA. Uh, I think it was right before United. And they basically suspended their hiring for a little while. And I, I had a good corporate job to look for them. So it wasn't like I was like
0: desperate. Right. But you still wanted you inter- it. Huh? But you still wanted it. You still wanted oh, it. I, I did.
1: I interviewed with Eastern... And long story short there, I was there the first day that it faulted on some of their notes in my last interview phase. And I got offered a job by the vice president of flying in his office. But I told him that I didn't really know what he had to offer me. I felt like a real idiot, which was hard to do because I still wanted to do it. But it, it worked out for me. I was, it was a good decision.
0: Absolutely. I mean, especially not going to TWA. We all know how that worked out and how they yeah. kind of got yeah. screwed over with American Airlines taking them over. A little
1: bit. Every time I fly that TWA person, I want to hug them. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But, you know, that's the way it is, kind of in love and war.
0: All right. So, no to United. United said no. Then you had TWA. They were kind of having their own issues. And then Eastern yep. was having their issues. What else?
1: Yep. Uh, you know, ironically, my first interview was with American. I think it was, I'm a little fuzzy in this, but I think it was in like 19, late 83 or early 84. And back to every single part of their contract, they just got a B scale going and everything was B scale. Pay was B scale, benefits, passes. So being that I had a good corporate job, I got put in a pool that if you kept you know, updating your flight hours and stuff, most of my friends got hired out of that pool, but I pretty much had determined that, that wasn't the path I wanted to choose, but looking back, it might not have been the
0: clearest vision. <laughs> <laughs> so you wish you would have chosen that if you could, if you go back and change anything, you might've chosen that.
1: You know, it's kind of funny. I would not because I've had more fun with my career at Piedmont than most people could appreciate. And some of the characters I got to be around were so earthy in aviation and had so much to give that I don't know if I would experience that at the other companies. Just because of the way Piedmont was, because, you know, some of the places they flew and some of the, you know, the things they operated with.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I've, you've only talked good things about Piedmont and how great it was. When did Piedmont come into the mix? When when did you even start thinking about Piedmont?
1: I always had an application, because I put applications in with everybody. I kept up with them, and in probably, I think it was the, the fall of 1985, I Finally, was a because Piedmont was a a very close-fisted thing. If they were, if they interviewed you, you pretty much were hired unless you defecated on the chief pilot's desk during your interview. Yeah, don't do that. That'd be bad. Not not a good thing. Yeah, I would not recommend that for anybody. (laughs) But um, once they brought you in, they wanted to hire you, so you had to kind of make it so you weren't hireable. So they, the girl told me that they had just acquired a small airline, and she didn't specify who, but I knew who it was—an airline named Empire Airlines in uh, Syracuse, New York. And that they were kind of assimilating their pilots with Indoc, and she said that you know, I would hear from them in the spring. So I pretty much took that as a polite way of saying thanks for calling, but don't call back. And lo and behold, probably the March of nineteen eighty-six, she called, and you know I started the process with them.
0: Wow, what? Uh, so eighty-three, you were applying to American and all them. What was the three years between there and when you got hired at Piedmont?
1: I was fortunately flying for the shopping center developers. It was, it, like I said, it was a great job with great people but I just kind of decided that I wanted to try and go on a different path eventually
0: Were there any other interviews in that time or was it kind of a 3 year lull and then Piedmont came later
1: um, I mean I I had various corporations that would interview me once in a while just cuz you know you kind of know them in the hangar and they get to like you and it was always the same thing where it was like another couple of thousand dollars to fly the same kind of equipment. So I just enjoyed where I was and just remain there.
0: Yeah. That's always good. It's always good to stay in one place too. And you keep building and going to different places. The grass isn't always, the grass isn't always greener. Generally it's not. Yeah. If they want to pay you more, it's because they probably want you to do something more that you might not want to do.
1: Well, it's funny because the guy I flew with was a great guy, but we didn't fly that much at that point in time. So he Really didn't want to get kind of the high pay scale because he didn't want to become an an albatross in the hangar. Yeah, that's funny.
0: Never good. What? Um. So I remember you were always talking about how Piedmont had the kind of this like amazing culture and how Piedmont was the best company you ever worked for. If you could kind of relate it to a company now that so like more millennials would understand what what Piedmont was back then, who would they most probably represent or uh, be close to?
1: I think Piedmont could be closely associated with like a Google now because they were very innovative. Um, they developed markets you know, very efficiently and uh, not obviously they didn't have the fast growth that Google had, but they had a management team in place that was really good at taking advantage of opportunity.
0: What about airline-wise? What kind of airline would you, would you say it was more similar to?
1: Actually, Piedmont was very much a different company because um, they they were kind of allowed to develop under the radar. I think most of the other airlines didn't really consider them a competitor until Piedmont would go into a jet with their market and take their market share. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so they're, they're like, crap, that what the heck?
1: Is, yeah, I mean, it ha- basically, that's one of the reasons why U.S. Air got in the mix is because there was a period of time where there was an airline villain named Carl Icahn who was looking at buying another airline, and he had it narrowed down to several and I've been told that Piedmont and USA kind of decided they'd be better off together than let Carl Eincon get a hold of either one of them. So that's kind of, you know, how that all worked together.
0: What Was, was Piedmont considered like a major airline? Was it considered a kind of like a legacy, a, a regional, like when you're getting up with it? what? I guess my question is, what? Did, so if someone is at American, United, Delta, those are kind of like the big three was Piedmont uh, like a sub-tier to other people? Yeah,
1: Piedmont, I think when I got hired, I think they're probably like the seventh biggest airline. But I mean, the growth there was incredible. I mean, when I was a new hire, it was like Christmas every day as far as airplanes being ordered and new routes coming in the line. It was, you, know, you would pinch yourself and say, could this really be happening?
0: That's awesome. Where did you mostly fly?
1: Uh, my first year, I was on the F-28. We affectionately called it the double date. And I was sent up to Syracuse, New York. Oh, beautiful Syracuse. Uh, the summers there is really pretty. All three days of it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe two, not even three.
1: But um, it was it was good. I, every, I the the first officers with Empire Airlines had big pay advantages to transition over to the seven thirty seven. So they they left there as quick as they could pack up U haul trucks. So I I went from being like a bottom reserve to a pretty senior person within probably two months.
0: How long were you on that plane for? I was on that for about a year. Did you enjoy flying it?
1: I did. It It wasn't particularly sexy. I mean, it was, you know, a pretty small jet, but it uh, it was very efficient and it, it would descend like a brick. It was pretty cool. It had a speed brake in the back, a clamshell. And when you open that up, it was, uh, you could do things, you could do things that people couldn't dream about. Yeah, that's good. Did you scare
0: some passengers back in the day?
1: I did. I was kind of evil. Anytime we'd have a Pan Am 747 captain on a jump seat, I would make it my mission to make him uncomfortable.
0: That's so funny. What did they say when they get off the plane? Like you're crazy, son.
1: Yeah, they, they were pretty cool. They could appreciate what you were doing, even though it was way outside of their comfort zone. It's 15,000 feet a minute descent to most aviators. is pretty uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. That's uh, a little, that's a little bit, unnerving. Little especially when you got this young, what were you probably like 30 years old? And this guy's probably like 60 <laughs> and all of a sudden yeah, you I see 15,000
1: feet. Yeah, I because our F-28 captains <laughs> at the time were prioring in the same as their 747 captains. So oh, wow. there's a little bit of a disparity there. But yeah,
0: definitely a little disparity, that's, especially with a big name. Is. Yeah. That's crazy. What was, um, oh, here's one question. When you got hired at Piedmont, did you ever in your wildest dreams think that it would lead you to a career at American Airlines? I did not. It, ironic
1: because... This is awful. I love my brothers at American, but we, I spent probably the first 25 years of my career making fun of American. Really? really? <laughs> wow. Well, they, they tend to be a little more structured than I. That the companies I was at. And they're, I mean, they're unbelievable pilots, but in the operational realm, yeah, we would always have a little bit of a rivalry.
0: That's funny. And United and American had a rivalry too. So grandpa probably wouldn't be too happy that you ended up at American.
1: He, if he was not cremated, he'd be doing flips in his grave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> saying some really know, choice words. drinking. Napa, his, yes. Yeah, saying choice words, drinking his Canadian whiskey.
1: When I told him I interviewed an American, he told me that no son of his would fly an
0: American. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. You're like, well, sorry, grandpa. <laughs>
1: hey, whoever offers me a job first. Yeah,
0: they're paying the bills.
1: <laughs> pretty much, pretty much.
0: That's funny. Well, did you ever think that you would also have um, been through four airlines and gone through US Air, US Airways? Like technically, America West, and then coming up to American.
1: It was funny. Um, the the u The U.S. Airways merger happened on my first vacation at Piedmont, so I went on vacation for seven days, and the company got sold. So, I mean, I you, we had very high expectations, but it became apparent that U.S. Air bought Piedmont because it was Piedmont was so effective at competing in their markets. So um, there was a lot of, not inadequacies, inefficiencies that we witnessed, because Piedmont was very focused, kind of razor sharp. So it was a little discouraging, and mergers have been good, but there have been several mergers that you sit back in the background and just kind of question some of the things that you're witnessing.
0: When did uh, the Piedmont-USAIR merger happen?
1: Uh, If I recall, I think Piedmont bought USAIR, or USAIR bought Piedmont, pardon me, in like March of '87. And then the actual merger, I think, was kind
0: of consummated in like late 88, early 89. Oh, wow. So I, I, was, I was born in 1990. I know you know that, but I don't know if other people know that. Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. With inflation hitting historic highs, it's no secret the market is going through a rough patch. And a lot of us are feeling the financial impact. To help you navigate today's economic turbulence, our partners at RAA have put together a free inflation guide exclusively for pilots. Learn what drives high inflation, how long the current trend might last, and ways you can protect your finances from its worst effects. It's a must-read, and your money will thank you for it down the line. Download yours today at raa.com pilot-to-pilot. That's pilot-to-pilot. And now back to today's episode. Um, I always thought that you flew for Piedmont until – I always thought Piedmont was around until like the early 90s. I didn't realize that it was gone before I was born.
1: It was it was funny because when uh, the night that the actual operational merger took place, your sister Stephanie was like in tears. She knew how much I enjoyed working at Pima. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I want she you to work big, at Pima.
1: <laughs> she gave me a big hug and told me she was sorry.
0: That's so funny. Little <laughs> She's did you know she
1: probably a little she... jilted though. I was probably saying things under my breath about her, the new entity.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, know, you would never do that. Never, never, never. Yeah. Uh, so, how long was it operated under just US Air?
1: Um, I think we were US Air, probably from 1988 till they changed the name to US Airways. I think it was in like 1998, so
0: about 10 years. Okay, so I w- so US Air to US Airways was not a merger; they just was a name change and like a rebranding. Mostly
1: name change. We had a new CEO, a gentleman named Stephen Wolf. He came in with a new vision and wanted a new brand, and it was actually pretty effective. I mean, his he his plans didn't really get carried out full term because of September 11th. But for a while, he had, he generated a lot of excitement within the airline and a lot of talk within the industry.
0: What was U.S. Air before they merged with Piedmont? Were they more of a north a Northeast carrier? Did they, was Piedmont kind of their presence into the Southeast?
1: Um, you, Piedmont was definitely more Southeastern focused. Uh, U.S. Air was very focused in the Northeast. Um, they both were kind of spreading to the West. And they had similar fleets, but obviously I think Piedmont operated maybe a little more efficiently, but I mean, I I was not a privy to marketing or any of that. But on the outside, looking in as an employee, it seemed like we had definitely a, a, a kind of a sharper
0: plan. Yeah. And then you said the CEO came in and eventually he's like, hey, maybe we should go by US Airways. We should get this new brand new way and kind of take over. And he had a vision. And before September 11th, would you say that was the kind of the heyday of aviation? That was the highest paid, like making the most money?
1: Actually, it was pretty good. We, I think most pilots at that time frame were kind of pinching themselves because there had been several recessions before that. None, I bet mean, there, you know, been furloughs and stuff. So it, there was uncomfortable times, but at that point, it seemed like it was going to be pretty free, pretty good sailing.
0: Almost like nothing could stop it, right?
1: That's what we thought because, you know, we all, all the airlines were being fairly successful. Um, There's a lot of growth, a lot of pilot hiring. And as you know, with pilots, it always generates a lot of goodwill.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially when the money's good. Pilots are very exactly, happy. They exactly. tend to complain a little less I, when they get a little more money. US
1: Airways, we called ourselves at the time, our pilot contract was, they had a clause called parity plus 1%. And basically the way it worked is if like Delta came up with another contract, we got their new rate plus 1%. So it was actually a pretty good Contract at that point in time. Hey, you're like, come on, Delta, beat us, well, beat us. It was it, was, it was kind of funny because um, we never really got the long term gains, but all the airline, all the airline pilots were pretty excited about those concepts because it was pretty good for a couple of
0: years. Yeah, and then the and September then, 11th happened.
1: It was it was game changing. Um, as you know, I, everybody there were a lot. Of, everyone had to be someplace that day. But the, I was on a four-day trip, and the day before, we had diverted into Laguardia due to weather. We couldn't—I think we're going to Boston—couldn't get up there. And so, unbeknownst to me, I wasn't even supposed to be in Laguardia. But I witnessed everything. I tagged where Bravo and Romeo go together, in the taxiway. We're kind of aimed right at the trade centers, waiting for our turn to progress in our taxing. We saw everything happen out the front window, and just sitting there watching it, I knew that life was going to be different for a long time.
0: I didn't know. You never told me the part that you were just in LaGuardia by chance. You weren't even supposed to be there. No, no. We were supposed to
1: think of Palm Beach, Florida that day. Wow. But that's how aviation is. You don't always, you know, have the same mission you leave
0: with. Yeah, definitely. But so talk about kind of what you were seeing. Like, I mean, Did you wait? Did you like, we're looking down doing paperwork. You look up and you see a fire or did you actually see the plane and you're like, what's that plane doing? It's really low. Or could you hear tower talking about stuff? We we had
1: the parking brake set. You know, we were kind of in a lineup even though we weren't all the way down by the runway, but the FO and I were conversing about, you know, different things in the airplane. And we just, both of us saw this airplane that just something wasn't right. And it was low going fast. And we literally saw it hit the first tower. So there was this huge fireball, which literally like felt like it burned your eyes to see. It was so bright and intense. So that kind of we focused on that after that because, you know, we weren't going to go anywhere for a while, obviously. So there's a lot of talk on the radio about what happened. Um, they kept I was flying for a division of U.S. Airways called Metrojet at the time. And the tower was saying how Metrojet hit the Trade Center. And I, I was like, yeah, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't a Metrojet. It was big and shiny. Unfortunately, it turned out to be an American Airlines 767. But um, so once again, we're focused on that particular geographic location, and then we saw another airplane about 20 minutes later that was, uh, you know, something was up. It was high speed, went down the river, lost sight of it, and then we saw a wingtip and the second fireball. So it was, it was. I knew, unfortunately, it's going to be a game changer. At that point in time, I was more worried about the effects of New York City and, you know, the people involved with the Trade Center because it just was so catastrophic.
0: Yeah. And, I mean, everyone like you said, everyone has a story about 9-11. Most people's story you'll talk to, maybe I don't know about most, but most people, like, they're at home, they're watching. And I found out in sixth grade when Matt Houston came to class and he told everyone, hey, I think a plane just crashed in the World Trade Center. And that's how I found out. But you happened to be on the run, on the taxiway. Looking at this, kind of like a firsthand experience of seeing kind of one of the worst days in American history.
1: It was pretty surreal. Um, the whole time we watched it, we were processing. Because after the second plane, I don't, it, and I'm not a genius, but I pretty much figured out my own that we would not be flying. So I told the uh, ground control we're talking to that we're going back to the gate. And we were one of the first airplanes to head to the gate. And then it just kind of all fell apart from there. There was rumor of another airplane that's going to come in and hit LaGuardia. It was all kind of uh, rumor and hearsay at that point.
0: I remember you saying that. Yeah, I mean...
1: But it was pretty frightening. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I had... It was a small airplane, 110 passengers on board, but I was very concerned about their safety and what was going on in their lives because some of them could actually see what was going on even though they didn't have a direct view of it.
0: Right, and it's not like today where you could just have your cell phone out and seeing all the, like they literally could, maybe some of them could see it be hit, but they didn't know what was going on and all that kind of stuff.
1: They definitely could see the smoke plume, because that became pretty much a, a very pervasive thing in the sky.
0: So, the first plane hits, what, like, I mean, in your mind, is that just like an accident? You're just like, what, well, how did that even happen? But do you just kind of think it's an accident or did you immediately think this was like a I, deliberate?
1: I'm not a genius, but I knew it wasn't an accident because it was such a pretty day that day that there was just no way that could happen. Um, I didn't know, didn't really think it was a terrorist thing, but I knew there was something horribly amiss. And then, like I said, as soon as the second airplane hit, then it was pretty painfully obvious what was going on. So, um, like I said, we made our way to the gate and tried to get people
0: off the airplane. What was the state of confusion with other airplanes, with tower, with ground? Like I'm sure everyone knew someone that was there. So they weren't necessarily in the right mindset to handle that and handle all this traffic at LaGuardia. What was like, was it just chaos? Would you say, or was it kind of like chaos?
1: Yeah. Um, it was, like I said, I was one of the first ones that made a break to the gate and then everyone just said, I'm going to the gate and you know, pilots. Our professionals are professionals, so no one hit each other. But it was it was a, a very much a controlled chaos.
0: How long would you say? Obviously, you're the first one, but were planes stuck on the on the ramp and on the the taxiways for hours?
1: I I don't think planes were stuck for hours. There were definitely some that got to the gate after me. But I will say that once we got to the gate, it was it was literally like the scene out of a horror movie. I mean, literally people running through the terminal, trampling. It was pretty un un. Um, unorganized yeah
0: and you you were a captain then like you said for metro jet which was u.s airways but not u.s airways kind of like this weird budget airline sub-brand, right yes sub brand yeah sub brand yeah. okay but you knew that you had to kind of like take care of your crew and like get them home. But you also knew that there were going to be no flights. You knew that you rental car is going to be pretty sparse. And you knew that the cell phone we had like, it was in 2001. So you had a brick Nokia cell phone, which I remember. I <laughs> did. I did. It was one of the only cell phones that had actual coverage, right?
1: I had AT&T at the time, a little plug for them. And I mean, literally, I I probably let a hundred people
0: use my cell phone that day. Cause none of them could get coverage on their networks. That's crazy. What did, when did you know that coming home, because you were you were gone for a while, right? That trip turned into... I was couple,
1: stuck in New York for five days, yeah. yeah.
0: When did you, when that was all going down, did you know that it was going to be hard for you to get home, that you were kind of going to be stuck there for a while?
1: It's kind of funny. I was, I don't know why, but I was focused on my mission still. So every day I would call scheduling and see if there's any flights operating. And I reminded them that we had a full crew in LaGuardia and we could you know, operate a flight. So finally on Thursday, they we kind of orchestrated a flight, and we're supposed to were going to be the first flight out of Laguardia, and we boarded up and we we're pushing back. And then there were some people that kind of um, escaped Ken- uh, security at Kennedy Airport and shut everything down again. So we wound up going back to the gate, but that was when I realized that we weren't going anywhere soon, and we're at the end of our duty cycle. So I went and rented a vehicle personally and just told my crew to go home. So they literally took the van
0: down to Florida. To get people home. That's crazy. Did the company ever reimburse you? Are you are saying, no, don't they worry did, about it.
1: They did. I didn't, that wasn't my concern at the time, but they did. Everyone was kind of in such a disillusioned state at that time. It was kind of funny, you know, as a captain, I was very concerned about my crew because we witnessed something that I knew was going to be hopefully once in a lifetime. So the first night, you know, we're literally all kind of PTSD zombies and I wound up with like 100 people in my hotel room that night, and it was not a big hotel room. I mean, we just were sitting and standing watching the events on the TV. It was pretty surreal there, too. Yeah, it's,
0: I mean, definitely. I mean, you were pretty much near ground zero. Like, yeah, yeah you were almost a firsthand account of what was going on. That's what's crazy.
1: Yeah, sadly, all the kind of uh, sensories you could smell the smoke, it was very kind of unnerving because it, you know, that
0: went on for months. And like you said, when this happened, you kind of knew this was going to be necess- uh, an end of what was the good times. But was it? Did you think it was going to be as bad as it was? Did you think it was going to be sixty percent pay cut in like what three days or two days, and everything else happened afterward?
1: My first officer, we, you know, we were day—I think we were day two of the trip—and he was a really good guy, and you know, he was one that our airline was very proud to have. And I looked at him right now and I said, I don't really understand the full effects of this. But I said, when you get home, you need to take care of your affairs like that day. I said, this is way worse than we know. And sadly,
0: I was right. Yeah. What did you mean by affairs? Like get your money in order? says, or or like- Yeah, because,
1: you know, a lot of the guys, your first year at an airline is uh, not back then. It was not an easy thing. Everyone had kind of substandard pays for the first year because they knew people go to work anyway.
0: Yeah, it's not like it was now where they need pilots as bad as they do. Right.
1: Right, there there weren't any recruiting bonuses back then. No, definitely not. um, But it was way worse than I anticipated. I mean, within months, um, U.S. Airways went from probably just under 6,000 pilots down to like 3,200 pilots. It was insane.
0: Do you think that's the worst moment in aviation history. Like I know you're you were talking about how there are furloughs and how there was a bunch of stuff before, but was this the absolute worst moment in aviation history with the not I'm not talking about September, I'm talking about the after effects and what happened to the industry.
1: Yeah, I do, honestly, in my career, because there were so many people furloughed and it was just open ended. You know, yeah. they I think initially told them they thought it'd be seven years, which to most people is like a lifetime.
0: Yeah. It is a and, lifetime. you know, there was just no promise of anything different at that point in time. Did you think that there was a chance that the airlines would never kind of come back and it'd be kind of the end?
1: I kind of did. The government even took, I forget the actual wording of the bill, but they had emergency basically funding for all the airlines to kind of keep them going. And uh, if it wasn't for that, because, you know, you have to think long term and you still need air transportation industry. And that's pretty much what kept the airlines going. There was JetBlue, I think, had just started then. So I think they were still kind of in the infancy of their existence, but um, it was a pretty dire time. Yeah. I mean, it's,
0: it's kind of a, a, a weird time to do this, but like shout out to JetBlue. How do you start an airline in one of them, literally the worst timing possible? And then now you're still alive and you're still thriving. It's, that's pretty, that's a good testament to what they're doing.
1: It is. It was kind of funny. Cause they, uh, they, they had very creative financing stuff and they had a really good up startup. But it's, yeah, like you said, it was all timing because everyone else was contracting and it gave them some pretty good marketing opportunities and they, they went after them.
0: They did. And now here they are. Yeah, exactly. Doing pretty good, paying pretty well.
1: At one point, I mean, I don't think it's the case now, but there was close to like 25 to 30% of jet Blue pilots that were former Airways pilots. It was crazy. Oh, wow.
0: I didn't know that. What, um, so I remember I was in, so this would be like sixth grade and then even seventh grade, and this was going on for a while. You told me that, I mean, I don't know if you told me, but I overheard or whatever it was that you were always thinking, like every time you came home from a trip from US Airways, you were always expecting like the next day for them to announce that they were going out of business because they were one of the ones that was, I don't know, worst affected, but they went through two bankruptcies. They had a bunch of issues and it was not really certain that they were going to be an airline pretty much day by day, right? Oh,
1: very true. Yeah. Um, the first bankruptcy we, everyone kind of expected, but it was, um, you know, everyone kind of thought, oh, that won't happen here. And it did. So that was very sobering. And when they brought in a management team that was not focused on running an airline, they were basically looking at harvesting what they could in the bankruptcy. And then the second bankruptcy, I mean, you know, that's pretty much your last card. So it was, it was even more sobering. Cause I know we gave up quite a bit of paying benefits the first time around and the union was very reluctant to give up anything the second time, but it became painfully obvious that if we wanted to have a chance at life in the future, we'd have to.
0: Yeah. What all, how much did you guys give up? Do you remember, do you have like an idea of like, I know um, you we talked about well, 60%, but was that the actual me, amount?
1: I was there. Everyone had their own personal kind of journey with it. I got kicked out of the left seat to the right seat, which is an automatic huge pay cut and then the pay cuts on top of that yeah at one point i was down probably 60% in pay from you know uh, september 4 or t- 10th 2001 to you know 2003
0: did you ever think it would come back to where you are now where the the airlines are doing probably almost better than ever they can't make they're making money hand over fist and they're just thriving and pilot pay is getting back up to what it was before september 11th did you ever think we'd be back at this spot
1: it's funny. Um, I'm kind of an optimist, sadly, but to, I knew that it's a very cyclical industry, so I knew there would be better times. But when the better times finally happened, we were all so kind of Stockholm syndrome beat up that we were kind of numb, and it kind of, yeah, you know, so it corrected a little faster than I thought it would. But I'm very pleased that it did.
0: Yeah, but I mean, better times did happen, but then the 2008 financial crisis happened and almost took them out again.
1: Oh, it did. It did. Plus the price of oil you know, went crazy. It was, it was another, I, I'll never forget our CEO who's there currently was really good at doing video kind of updates that he would offer to the pilots in particular. And he would, he said right on this video, Hey, we're not sure we're going to make it, but this is what we're going to, this is what we're doing to try and make it. And I really respected that because it obviously was not easy to do.
0: Yeah. How long do you think it was before you finally realized? So like 2001 until, was it like, Obviously, times are good 2000, 2005 ish two thousand six two thousand seven, and then the financial crisis. When did you actually feel like comfortable in this career, and you weren't necessarily worried about furlough or maybe your airline going out of business? I was very
1: lucky because a lot of good friends. You know, as far as furlough, I was never a real senior, but I, if we had an entity, I kind of felt pretty good that I would have a job. But um, it was probably not until the merger with America West just because of the two potential companies getting together and the management team in place. So I felt better about things in 2005 and nobody really foresaw what happened in 2008, 2009, but you know, our, the management and the pilots were really good at trying to work through the issues and get, get back on track.
0: Yeah, that's good. So America West is when you're kind of like, all right, the company is probably going to be able to do this.
1: It was funny. Cause I mean, I, I don't have like the inside kind of story on that but it was all arranged by um a ceo that we had at u.s airways who got, went out and got financing and got involved with some of the financial partners and then recruited doug parker to try and you know see if he would run the whole combined operation and they you know their management team did a good job running it i mean it was we were kind of adrift at that point
0: was america and, west of, of i mean i was too young to really understand like what america west was being from the east coast but Were they a pretty prominent airline? Were they really tiny, regional, like only operating in the Southwest?
1: Uh, They were pretty tiny. They were on a very aggressive, excuse me, growth campaign. Um, You know, they suffered with 2001 as everybody did, but they probably rebounded a little quicker than a lot did. Um, You know, it's hard to say what the long-term prospects for them were. They were pretty good at what they did at the time, but the times were changing daily.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you'd say it was a good four years before America West happened, and then you felt more comfortable. And then 2008. When did um, when did US Airways and America West go through their second bankruptcy? Was that before 2008 or is that after 2008? Yeah,
1: they actually US Airways went through our second bankruptcy. I believe it was in like late 2004, early 2005. And then pretty much coming out of the second bankruptcy was when the relationship with America West started, because that was part of the business plan to come out of bankruptcy.
0: And then. What? When did American come in? When? So U.S. Airways then, which surprises most people, they don't really forget this. Is that American or um, U.S. Airways actually bought American out of their bankruptcy? Was that in like 2011, 2012, or was that earlier? I think
1: I know Doug Parker was kind of the one. I mean, I don't know all the particulars too, but it was initiated by U.S. Airways management. They went to the pilots at American and to the flight attendants at American, and kind of. You know, went over what their plans were for the joint entity. And then I think it was probably like 2012, because I remember I was driving to Ohio State for a football game when I heard that, uh, you know, U.S. Airways was making a pitch to buy or to merge with American. There was no there was no actual buyout of American. It was all kind of you know, monies from institutional investors, but they wound up with the surviving management team.
0: Yeah. And did you think that was kind of like a, a, like a far cry? Like, we're not going to be American. There's no way.
1: It was kind of funny. I was excited about it, but by the same token, I was like, how's this going to work? But uh, it did work. I mean, it's, it's been a, a, not the easiest journey. And now we're mixed and we fly with different crew members and, you know, everyone I've operated with has been, you know, just, good to work with so it's been good so far that's
0: good yeah definitely kept the professional i know that american yeah. american pilot legacy pilots have certain views on u.s airways pilots and america west pilots and vice versa for all three companies because it's hard enough getting two companies to come into one but even when u.s airways and america west was joining with american they still had their own issues with their own labor battles and their own kind of seniority list and everything like that so it was really merging three airlines into one
1: it was not easy, and as anybody that knows the industry, you know, relative new histories that uh, U.S. Airways and America West, it was a pretty ugly relationship for a long time.
0: Yeah, none of them wanted it. I mean, they knew that they needed just for both of them to survive and thrive, but like it was not necessarily a wanted marriage for sure.
1: It's kind of a shotgun wedding, but you know, you have you do what you have to do to survive.
0: Yeah. It's, it's just so crazy to think. I mean, people right now are complaining maybe in Australia they think they should be paid more and all that stuff, but they forget so much and so quickly. And maybe they didn't even know because they're too young, but just like how bad it was 12 years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I've talked to other regional airline pilots coming up like at Masaba and all those like airlines that maybe you don't really hear of anymore. And they are sleeping on park benches. They're getting paid minimum wage, below minimum wage, shaving in the, in the terminal, like brushing their teeth in the terminal. And it's just crazy.
1: I was off. I I got displaced from the right seat of the 757 to the left seat of the E-190, and uh, most of the pilots I was flying with were being recalled, and they got recalled to the uh, Airbus, which is a lot higher. So they wound up getting displaced to the 190, and they literally were sub-poverty wages. I mean, most of them. You know, weren't eating. I'd go on a four day trip, and that my FO would be kind of you know out in la la land day three, and it was like, "Let's go get something to eat." Yeah, we'll he feed you, ran man. out of food in his bag. Yeah, it was, I felt really bad for him because they're all really good guys.
0: What'd you call the one ninety? The Vespa?
1: Uh, yeah, I did call the one ninety the Vespa. Yep, <laughs> they didn't like me in the training department at all, but I did tell him it was a really nice moped. That was really good.
0: <laughs> That's really funny.
1: Hopefully, It's been a very efficient airplane now, so I I can't say it. And it actually
0: can outperform an Airbus in some category. Yeah, it's a a pretty good plane. My favorite plane to fly on as a passenger is the 175 and 170, though that's the most comfortable plane, I think.
1: Yeah, no, they are. I mean, Embraer did a really good job marketing and building that airplane. Yeah, they did a good
0: job. Um, So do you think U.S. Airways would have survived without the American merger or acquisition?
1: Um, I think... I think we could have, I I don't think it was a guaranteed thing that they were finally getting a pretty good focus on how to kind of go back into the market and be efficient. So we're in a way better place than we were before, but I think we were able to do it a lot. More efficiently and a lot quicker with the merger with American.
0: So here comes 2010. I quickly realized I'm not going to the NFL. <laughs> I'm not going to be playing in the NFL. I need to get back up career. And I'm going through the mix. I chose to start aviation in 2010. What was your initial thought when maybe I called you said, hey, I'm going to go take a flight lesson. I'm going to try this. Actually,
1: I'll never forget. I think you had taken a discovery flight at Ohio State and you called and said that you were going to go into the aviation program. and I was excited for you. I never wanted you to feel kind of obligated to go in aviation. I wanted it to be on your terms, your motivation. And I, I knew how much I enjoyed it, how much I loved it. And I was hoping that you would have the same feelings for it. It's, it appears that you do.
0: Yeah. With the with the outlook of aviation at the time, though, because 2010 was not good. Like flight instructors had 3,000 hours. They're getting paid $10,000 a year. There was really like, I know people could say that they knew it was going to get better, but there's really no telling when it was going to get better. I mean, when I started training, I had more people tell me how dumb I was for getting in aviation, how I should run away and do anything else, literally anything else but I never got that from you. You always kind of were just like, no, it's, I mean, I don't remember you saying it's going to be okay, but what were like, what were your thought process? What was your, your thinking your thought process on it as a career down the road?
1: I actually felt good about it. Cause as I said, I'm a little bit of an optimist, but I knew surviving what we survived. The airlines had definitely become a different industry. And I had, you know, I thought the prospects were good. I know people that hired on with us airways in like 2012, 2013, um, you know, made some brave choices because it wasn't obvious at that time.
0: No, definitely not. I mean, yeah, it wasn't obvious. And now any airline's a good choice to go to. And a lot of pilots have the opportunity to choose places. When I was growing up, did you ever think that maybe I'd become a pilot? Did you ever think that it was in me at all? Because I know, I mean, me personally, I never really thought about aviation as a career until it came to the point of actually taking my first flight in
1: 2010. I knew, the tie got you into a simulator one time in my training because we're, it was like my fourth, initial training on the 737 and things were flowing pretty good. So I got you in and you got to fly the simulator. And when I asked you what ratings you had, I knew I was in trouble because you went in there and did like visual approaches to Washington National. And I was like, I know people that I fly with it couldn't do that. Yeah,
0: I remember that. that was a lot of fun. That was a so good time. it was,
1: it was pretty, I kind of like, wow, this, this is something that he could really take advantage of. So I was, I was excited for you just cause I know my relationship with aviation.
0: Yeah. What would you say to maybe like even someone like me or someone that's like getting ready to have kids or has kids and is a, a professional pilot, whether it's corporate or fly for fun, but how do you, cause a lot of people, you we never went up in small planes. We never went to go fly them. How do you foster a love for aviation? How do you just let that happen on its own? You know,
1: It's funny because I've you know, been in this industry for a long time and I've flown with some very successful aviators that didn't really like what they were doing. And then I've flown with some people that just love what they're doing. So there's been periods in the history for me where the money was so good that people went into it for the money. But for what I saw, the people that went into it for the love of aviation have really had a very satisfying career because, as you know, in my career, the money was there or wasn't there several times. So at least if you loved what you were doing, you could kind of deal with the, the money not being there at that point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And I always tell people it's not for the money of aviation. You're going to be thoroughly disappointed because there's just going to be a bunch of things that happen and the money's not always going to be there, which you know firsthand and I mean, every generation is going to have their own challenges. It looks like my generation, the challenge is going to be coming up with how the airlines are going to fix the pilot shortage and whether that's going to be single pilot and eventually no pilots or drone remote pilots. So that's going to be another interesting battle that some pilots might have to face in the future.
1: Oh, it is. It's an ever changing industry.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, just from my standpoint, I, you know, it's funny because two pilot is such a good concept as far as checks and balances and kind of safety that I hope it never gets away from that, but I would be ignorant to think that it won't. Oh,
0: yeah, Absolutely. And its a, I think it's important for people to talk about it and realize that it's an actual threat and not just say passengers will never want to do it because money talks, airlines want to save money, passengers want to save fares, and um, they will figure out a way to make it work. And we have to be very vigilant in protecting a two-pilot crew and start now, start early. I agree. I agree. And, you know,
1: a single pilot is... It's, it's used you know for kind of uh, smaller operations. And as you know, it's, it's very challenging as an aviator to operate single pilot.
0: Oh, yeah. I, would, I never want to fly single pilot ever again in my life. Granted, my conditions were a little bit different than maybe flying an airliner, but it was, no, thanks. Yeah. I'm good.
1: You, you still were exposed yeah. to long hours and bad weather. Yeah. It's just good to have someone that has your back.
0: With you um, looking at where my career has gone and where I am and where I've been, like looking from afar, did you ever want to like tell me no about doing something? Maybe like, no, actually get your CFI, don't do aerial survey or don't do freight, go regional. or Like what's your kind of outlook on how I've traversed the aviation career? Because it's definitely been a different one. It's not necessarily the natural way to, to go about getting your ratings and getting time and finding a job.
1: Oh, it has. I think everyone has to kind of have their own personal relationship with aviation. And I think you've done a really good job with your path, because it works for you. Um, And I know a couple of times I told you about opportunities like Piedmont PSA, and I respected you for wanting to take another path, because I think when you get to where you're happy with your path, I think you're happy with your journey more if, if it's something that you chose as opposed to something that was served up to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also, I mean, I just... I've always wanted to try the, the companies that I've been at. I've always wanted to make sure I tried those. Because once you go to the airlines, once you go to, say, a regional, you you don't want to give up that, say, seniority or that flow. So you're never going to have a chance to go back. And you still have the opportunity to have a great career at an airline. Even if you hired at 40, you still have 25 years, you know. So I know seniority means everything. But have fun in your, in your training, in your career, and take the jobs that maybe sound fun to you and stuff and kind of branch out. Definitely oh, I agree.
1: There. And I think the the more varied background you have, I think ultimately it makes you a little bit better aviator only because you understand a little more, like I have a little broader scale of things.
0: Yeah, I agree. 100% agree. gives it's, you a little yeah. diversity to your flying.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. All right, Pops. Well, you have successfully survived the interview portion. I only have one more uh, portion left. It's called the rapid fire section. Now this one's going to be hard because you like to talk and you (laughs) you like to tell stories, which I appreciate. And I've learned that from you, but you're going to say the quickest and fastest answer to each one of these questions.
1: Okay. I'll try to be rapid.
0: All right, cool. What is your favorite airplane in general? Just like any airplane you think of, what's your favorite one?
1: 727.
0: What about a favorite corporate plane? So it could be like a jet, it could be a, uh, a turbine piston. What would you say? Probably King or F90-1. All right. That's very specific. I like it. What it about is, just general is. aviation aircraft? Um, general aviation. I mean, I had a lot. The Learjet was very exciting to fly too. Didn't you say you're one of your favorite? What about pistons? Oh, Pistons, I'm sorry. Uh,
1: My favorite was a Rockwell 114, believe it or not. It's not a widely known airplane, but it was phenomenal to operate.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting looking airplane for sure.
1: Very comfortable and just, you know, very efficient.
0: This is my favorite question to ask people. It has kind of divided a lot of people. But what is the ugliest airplane you have ever seen?
1: The ugliest? The Airbus 380, hands
0: down. (laughs) Yeah that's not it's an unfortunate looking airplane for sure it,
1: i've heard numerous descriptions and they're all accurate
0: oh, no matter what you say about it so it's right
1: <laughs> it is it's probably the most abused airplane in history yeah
0: i would agree. yeah i don't know i'm starting people Early might say abuse. that i'm uh, starting a lot of abuse on the piaggio because i'm not a fan of the piaggio but
1: at, le- at least you can understand those
0: yeah that's true all right here's one uh what is something you wish you knew before you became a pilot
1: um, uh, that's a good question. Something I wish you knew before I came a pilot. We
0: can honestly, come back to it if you want.
1: Yeah. I honestly can't think of anything. I, I kind of learned things as I progressed and I don't have any regrets. I mean, I, I, I know that's probably not the answer you're looking for, but I can't think of anything that would define
0: that. <laughs> that's good. All right. Here's one. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? It could be dead or alive. Probably Orville and Wilbur. Wow, I like that. What well, would you have like a question you want to ask him or you just want to say thank you? Or what would you say? I
1: would want to have a beer with him and say, so tell me how this works. Yeah. <laughs> so That's you funny. lean to the left and it goes to the left.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you thought this was a good idea. Exactly. <laughs> That's funny. What's your favorite overall thing about aviation? If you could just choose one thing that you love about aviation, what would it be? Takeoff. Okay. What's the hardest? What the- what the- oh, sorry. What you say? Every time I put the gear up in the wall, I just kind of get goosebumps. Get a little giddy. I do, I do. What is the hardest approach you've ever flown?
1: Um, just, you know, a couple times doing ILSs where you're basically in moderate turbulence the whole way down to the runway. Kind of just takes a lot of focus. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? I'm kind of a weird person. I enjoy landing at LaGuardia Washington National. I just kind of enjoy the challenge that
0: comes with it, even though it's very unforgiving sometimes. Least favorite airport you've ever had to land at? Um, probably
1: Chicago Midway.
0: Hey, we go there all the time. What's up?
1: I know. I don't mean to <laughs> take any love back. When I flew in, uh, there was a Metrojet and corporate and the mix of traffic was a lot worse than it is now. Yeah.
0: Here's one. You are connecting on a uh, flight. You got maybe like a 20 minute stop and or maybe a 30 minute stop. You have time to go get food. What's your go-to airport food? One that you always try to eat.
1: My go-to airport food is probably Wendy's if I see him.
0: All right. I know this I think I know this answer to this question but if you had to choose between Airbus and Boeing to fly for the rest of your life what would you choose?
1: I hate to do this cuz I'm a dedicated Airbus person now but Boeing has always been my favorite aircraft
0: format. I know you're going to say that. You did, you yeah. did. What's your favorite airline livery?
1: Actually I really enjoy the new American the Piedmont livery only because of sentimental reasons and stuff is my all-time favorite. Um the the new American livery I didn't like it when I first saw
0: it. Yeah, you did not. You were but the more not a I fan. See it,
1: it just is very comprehensive and very kind of it just flows together really well.
0: Yeah. If you had the choice to choose one long trip throughout the day or maybe a five trip day, what would you choose?
1: Uh, my perfect day would probably be three to four legs. I kind of am a weird person and enjoy takeoff and landing. And if I'm in the airplane more than six or seven hours, I'm looking for ways to
0: get out. What's the worst experience you've ever had with a captain or an FO?
1: Um, I had a... Uh, You know, several with captains and FOs. I always tried to treat them as people and kind of understand where they're coming from, but sometimes you just can't do it. And you you have to go right back to keep the airplane out of buildings and mountains.
0: What was the hardest check ride you've ever taken?
1: It's funny, every check ride... Yeah, you kind of downplay it, especially in the Airbus. But every check ride, you have to have your guard up on, just because you know there's just it can be a cumulative process. Sometimes you think things are going really well, and all of a sudden you're in a place that you don't really want to be. So I never take check rides for granted.
0: Yeah, would you say one was harder than the other? Was it like your first jet check ride? Was it commercial, private instrument?
1: Only because it was kind of foreign to me, but you know, well, every time you kind of get into a different category of flying, you just have to appreciate that category for what it is and trying to operate
0: that way. I know you said you don't really have a regret, but one of my questions I ask is what's the biggest regret in your career? Would you say that you don't have one or do you think you would have wished you would have chosen American earlier or whatever? Yeah.
1: Actually, I don't have one. I kind of wish the September 11th didn't happen, but that's beyond my power. So that would be my biggest regret is just witnessing all that. What's the
0: biggest win in your aviation career?
1: The biggest win, the day I got hired by Piedmont. I was talking to the girl and I told her. I asked her if this is one of my mean friends because we used to make crank calls to each other. Yeah, doing a crank call <laughs> and she assured me that it wasn't.
0: That's really funny. Yeah, it's like no, Jeff. It's uh, it's all good. You're actually hired when I, here. You're like when what? I finally got there. She hugged me. That's really funny. This is very real. All right. Well, those are all the rapid fire questions I have for you. I mean, I guess there's one other question I forgot to ask. So okay. When I was doing aerial survey and I was building my time, obviously I had uh, the the incident where I had to land on a mountain in a 206. It was what just was, an
1: unscheduled landing. It wasn't an incident.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. The <laughs> FAA didn't ever come after us. They exactly, said we did a great exactly. job. So there's no accident, no incident whatsoever what was your thought process on that? Cause I remember very specifically when I was growing up, I asked you one question and I said, aren't you ever afraid when you're flying? Don't you ever get scared? And I remember you answered and you said, I've never in my like 23rd, well, however long you're flying at the time. You said never once in my career, have I ever had anything that like would cause me to be scared, like an accident or anything like that. And I was like, oh cool. So no one ever gets an accident really. And then sure enough, what, like, uh, two years in my professional career, maybe like six months in my my first flying job, I end up in a 206 and we lose our engine and we have to land on the rolling hills or mountaintops of uh, West Virginia. What was kind of going through your mind when that when I called, when the phone call was happening? Or first of all, when you ignored my phone call, because no one wanted to answer I did, a number in West Virginia. The
1: chainsaw that day and I got a phone call from someplace in West Virginia, so I didn't take it. So later on that evening, Christina called your wife and said that you had been in an airplane accident. And I just knew by the tone of her voice that it probably wasn't anything too bad. And then when you, when I finally got to talk to you and got specific details, I, I will tell you my heart did skip a few bumps. When you sent me the picture, I just about soiled my pants. Um, it's hard to kind of get the visuals, but when I saw what you landed on, a lot of admiration, a lot of. Um, Holy, you know what?
0: And it was, it was very sobering, actually. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Did you think that I was going to keep flying or did you think uh, I was going to stop?
1: I thought I knew you would. I, I thought you handled it very well because I know you did get just a little bit of distance to kind of regather your wits. And I thought you did a good job moving forward because I know people that would have said, OK, obviously that wasn't meant for me.
0: Yeah, no, it was uh, kind of a terrifying time. And it was like, once you finally realize this is the career path you're going to go down and then all of a sudden this happens and it's like, wait, do I want to like submit myself to this? Because we all take that risk when we go fly, right? Like you're always like, that's always in the back. Like something could happen where could lead to an unfortunate event and that's when
1: you're back in the same 206, like several months later, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah, That's another, yeah. Building time is not fun. And I, I really, I think they are in the path of making that an easier and more streamlined process than, than it used to be, but it was definitely an interesting time for sure. Well,
1: you know it's kind of what gives us our, our character i mean I, I agree with what you're saying but when you talk to people and hear their stories there's always someone that has a story that's way you know way more difficult than yours so it's kind of cool to talk to people and see how they got where they
0: are yeah. I'm still waiting for someone to beat my story about landing on a mountain. So
1: that's, I show that picture often and every time the person I show it to kind of gasps. So I will admit you you got me
0: beat. Yeah. I don't think that's a, that's something I, I like knowing that I win. I would rather, hey. rather not have that victory under my belt. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Pops, Dad, thank you so much for coming on. This is going to be episode number 100. So it's going to be one of the uh, a special episode and I appreciate you coming on and maybe we can come on again and tell some more stories. I know you have a more deep uh, September 11th story that maybe we could share and talk about some other stuff too. So um, it's great having you on, Dad. I appreciate it. I love you. And I appreciate all the support that you've given me and just kind of paving a path for me for doing what I'm doing.
1: Hello, thank you. And I appreciate you. And I'm very proud of who and what you are and how you go about your day. So I just kind of keep on doing your thing.
0: Appreciate it, pops. Thank All you. I Love mind. you very much. Have yeah, fun. Love you too. Hope I didn't get too mushy there. No, you're doing great. That's a wrap on episode 237. Thank you so much for listening. Next episode is going to be a question and answer, so follow me on Pilot to Pilot. Probably today I'm going to throw up a poll and uh, ask some questions. So it's going to be a day-in-the-life type style, so ask me what I do in a life. Ask me about my job, about fractional, corporate, whatever you want to do. Ask me those questions, and I will answer them to the best of my ability. But Navy Nation, that's it for me. So I hope everyone's having a great day, and as always, happy flying.